Welcome to the sixth Evidence-Based Nursing Podcast. I'm Joanna Smith and I'm one of the Associate Editors for Evidence-Based Nursing and Senior Lecturer at School of Nursing, Midwifery and Social Work, University of Salford, Greater Manchester, UK. So today it's great to have the pleasure of Dr. John Rawson who will be recording today's podcast. So first I'd like to invite Dr. Rawson to introduce himself. Thank you very much for having me. I'm John Rosen. I'm an assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City in Missouri in the U.S. And I've got a career focused on pediatric gastroenterology and chronic pain disorders. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Rosen, and thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Dr. Rosen, along with Dr. Saps, wrote a commentary for evidence-based nursing entitled, Among Secondary School Students, 53% Report Abdominal Pain in the Previous Three Months, which is associated with a range of physical and emotional symptoms. The commentary was based on a study by Dr. Villa and colleagues um, that investigated the associations, impairment and healthcare use in relation to abdominal pain in British young people. And this will be the focus of today's podcast. So first, I'd like to ask you, Dr. Rosen, how you became interested in abdominal pain in school children. It actually started in medical school. I had an experience with Dr. Paul Hyman and Dr. Jose Coquin in a clinic where they took care of pediatric patients with chronic abdominal pain. And as a student, it was amazing to see these children with long-standing abdominal pain who were missing school, who had many comorbid conditions, and who had been to many doctors previously and found no relief for their symptoms. And doctors Hyman and Coquin had an ability to diagnose functional and chronic pain disorders in these patients, in these uh, school-aged children. They were able to end unnecessary testing, initiate treatment plans, and help the patient and family understand that there was something to be done um, and that their pain could get better and their associated symptoms could get better. And that was my my first experience with these children. Uh, Subsequent to that, during my medical training, I had a chance to work with Dr. Miguel Saps and Dr. Ashish Chogli at Northwestern in Chicago. And they took care of referral patients uh, who had chronic pain disorders and got me more interested in the research of these patients so we could understand more about why school children have chronic abdominal pain, uh, how often it happens, and perhaps what we can do about it. Thank you very much. So bear in mind the vast experience you've got. What would you say the strengths and limitations of the study undertaken by Dr. Bill and her colleagues are? Dr. Villa and her colleagues obviously have some great experience with research using tools of psychology, investigating somatization disorders. They've validated research tools in the past in the same population in Britain, and that's a great angle to come from. Uh, They've got an understanding of the interaction between the physical and psychosocial factors of these chronic pain disorders in school children. Uh, So they're particularly situated to study these disorders. They use standardized research tools, which is important so that we can compare their research to other research that's been done. They had a very high survey completion rate, and it was really impressive. In a school population, they had 94% of the patients complete the survey of those students. 
They picked the population that they were interested in, that they knew something about based on their previous research and their experience, and they captured this cohort in a prevalence study. And school-based research in particular, I think, is important, particularly for prevalence studies and getting a basic understanding of school children, because we know from other studies that, and from this study, that all these children do not seek care at the doctor or at a clinic. And research that's based at a clinic or based on referrals to a physician or nurse can't always capture all of the children that may be suffering from these disorders. Uh, so Dr. Phil and her colleagues really captured a specific population. They used standardized tools, and they approached their research using the biopsychosocial model, um, looking at physical symptoms in association with psychologic symptoms, which is great and complete. Yeah. And would you say there were any limitations to the study? There are some limitations, and they recognize these in the discussion of their research. Uh, it is a retrospective design. They're asking um, these school children about symptoms that they had, and there's always the possibility of recall bias in a retrospective design. However, much research uses the same design because you can capture a population, because it's lower cost and less intensive than prospective longitudinal studies. So I think it's appropriate, but it does limit the interpretation of results somewhat. Um, they did use standard research tools, and some of them are very well validated. The one research tool I think that may have provided additional information would be a standard research tool for diagnosis of chronic abdominal pain in the children. I think they asked the right questions, but using a validated tool like the questionnaire on pediatric gastrointestinal symptoms may have helped to extend the interpretation of the disorders, how frequent they happen, and also help to compare from this study to other studies. Yeah. Thank you. So if, if you think about the study, what would you say the important findings of the study were? I think the most important finding of the study was uh, kind of the main aim is how often does this happen in school children? And they found 3% of children reported a stomach ache lasting longer than one hour in the past three months. Uh, and this is just a stomach ache. And we know school children report these symptoms. But within that group, 29% of all of their patients, so 29% out of the over 1,000 patients they surveyed, had pain at least once weekly. And we know that most of recurrent abdominal pain in this age group are functional gastrointestinal disorders. So they really identified a prevalence of 29% of weekly abdominal pain, which uh, is interesting in that cohort, goes along with past studies um, that have found variable prevalence, but 29% is certainly within that range. And uh, I think that's the most important. How often does this happen? Secondarily, and one of their aims was to see, does this happen more in any particular groups and what are associated symptoms? So they found that stu students with abdominal pain were more likely female. They had more depression or depressive symptoms. They missed more school. And they had more physical, emotional, and behavioral problems. And this is very important for practitioners and for families and patients to understand that these conditions are common and chronic pain is associated with all these other things that need to be addressed when treatment plans are initiated. Yeah, thank you. So if you consider that prevalence rate, what do you think the practice and policy implications are of this study? 
Well, I think that it's important for practitioners to know uh, that abdominal pain is common in these children, and there are comorbidities associated. Um, the assessment of these children can't be limited to just their psychologic symptoms. It can't be limited to just their pain symptoms. Mm-hmm. And really, assessment and treatment of these children needs to be underpinned by this biopsychosocial approach, taking all of these things into account, figuring out which ones can be addressed and how to address those. And so I think it's important that they identify all of these symptoms occur. Um, and I think it improves understanding of these disorders and how common it is to have comorbidities, to have other pains associated with abdominal pain and to miss school and have other psychological symptoms. In addition to implicating the biopsychosocial model as being important, um, it's important, I think, from this study to understand that standard research tools, um, when we're interpreting the research across sites in different countries, are very important. And I think they used uh, these appropriately. And I think that there are additional ones, like the QPGS, uh, that can be utilized. Thank you. So what further research do you feel is needed in this area, which does have um, quite significant impact for children? I think that there's uh, a lot of research that could be very helpful to patients and practitioners. Um, Dr. Sperber in 2009 and in several other articles has discussed the importance of cross-cultural and multinational research in functional gastrointestinal disorders. We know that this was a single site study, which is very important, but we also know that you can't extrapolate those results across different cities, different cultures, and different health systems. Ideally, multinational studies conducted at the same time with standard research tools would really help us understand these disorders even better and make increasingly valid comparisons across different cultures and geography. Um, That obviously is a much different kind of endeavor requiring large consortiums and typically uh, more personnel and more funding. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the direction that it's moving. Okay, thank you very much. So if listeners were to take away one key message from this podcast, what would it be? I think for listeners, it's important that childhood chronic abdominal pain is common and recognition of the role of the biopsychosocial model is key to any therapy or research endeavors. Right, thank you very much. So thank you very much, Dr. Rosen, for your sharing your knowledge experiences with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. So finally, after listening to this podcast or indeed any of the issues, Evidence-Based Nursing website, please get in touch with us via the blog, Journal Club, or tweet us using the hashtag EBNursingBMJ. Thank you. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.